Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey all you budding adventurers, my name is James and welcome back to another episode of the 9to5ADV podcast where we talk affordable and accessible adventure motorcycling. With me as always is my co-host Ross. Hi James, how are you doing this week? Pretty good, pretty good mate, how are you? Can't complain, we're um, oh no we can't say that we're sharing this a microphone. This is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah we can't say we're sharing a microphone because of social distancing so we have to edit this bit out. So yeah this week we have a, a special guest on the show don't we James? We do indeed. Uh, it is James, not me. Not James. James. Yeah, so luckily this week we've, uh, we're lucky enough to be joined by James Archibald. We mentioned him on uh, the podcast last week because uh, he joined you on your rally motor adventure. But uh, I've written a little, uh, little bio for James. I put him down as adventure motorcyclist, photographer, marketing guru, general plum. Uh, he's worked freelance. He's worked for Motorcycle News. So it must be a big deal. <laughs> Worked for Bridge Motorcycles. <laughs> so it must really be a big deal. And now he works for Lexmoto and Lextech. So, James, welcome to the 9 to 5 ADV podcast. What a pleasure to have you here. I can feel myself going really, really red. <laughs> Get used to it. Yeah. It's fine. The <laughs> cringe disappears after a while. Just just ease into it. You'll be ease fine. Into it. I'm um, the same colour as James's t-shirt. <laughs> He's wearing a red t-shirt. Jumping in... Quickly, before we go into the main topic, which is going to be uh, photog- Motorcycle Photography 101, a few bits of news. Uh, first up, Lex tech-related, considering James is here. Uh, as of today, we've been given the news that the, the long-awaited N-Cannon link pipe, more importantly, for the Tenere 700, is now available to buy, which you can go online and get. I know there's been a lot of people that constantly ask me, when it's going to be ready um it's a great price how do you know how much it's going to be yes uh i think it's 44.99 i believe that's for the link, link, for the pipe, link yeah. pipe yeah and then uh, they've got a selection of silencers so you can choose anything from i think the cheapest one's about 85 pounds mm-hmm. to you know get your your full carbon setup as well yeah and we've talked about these um quite a few times on the podcast before they're a great bit of kit i think all, all of you that follow along if you want one you know you want one and it's you've just been waiting so so go and get them before they run out of stock yeah we haven't got many at the moment oh really yeah we, we, we care to got, give us a number um uh, you don't have to yeah i won't for now but we, we've got we've got a few in but we're expecting them to sell pretty quickly we've got more on the way though so it shouldn't take too long to be playing stock but <laughs> get yeah, cool. in there quick so james you want to talk about james eaton you wanted to talk about the new ktm I don't because I know nothing about KTM. I'm a pretty shoddy adventure rider when it comes to KTM. But um, if you may know that KTM, as of yesterday at the time of recording, announced the 
new 890 and 890 Adventure. Adventure, Adventure R, I think. Yeah, um, which... I, I can't quite tell. Are they replacing the 790, do we think? Or is the 790 still... Yeah, I believe they are. I think it's probably more in line to do with Euro 5. Uh, so, you know, we've got Euro 5 coming in next year. So I think this is probably KTM's response to um, getting the bike through Euro 5 more than anything. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know. It, m- it might be that the 790 was Euro 5 compliant, but I'd imagine it probably might not have been considering they're upgrading it already. Yeah, we certainly certainly saw it when Euro 4 came out with Triumph and things, increasing engine capacities in order to kind of get around the emissions. It's the only way to keep the power kind of still up there, isn't it? So I wouldn't, I'm, I don't know about the power figures for it, but I wouldn't necessarily expect a huge jump over the 790. Not that it, not that it needs one anyway. No, I mean, uh, there's. I think it's one of those, there's a lot of incremental increases uh, on the bike. There's no... From what I can see, anyway, there's no big wow standout, complete change of bike. It's just everything has just been tweaked and refined. And I know they work with the KTM um, sort of Dakar rally guys to to develop this and basically make what is a, a, a fantastic, uh, albeit expensive, um, adventure <laughs> bike uh, even better and undoubtedly even more expensive. But there you go. It's only expensive at the moment. Once they discount it like a DFS sofa, like they do everything else they make, it will be whoa, fine. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, we are impartial on this podcast. <laughs> are we? I didn't think we were. <laughs> um, we'll leave that there then. Um, so your Yamaha, though, we're going to slate manufacturers. Yamaha have recalled your bike. Uh, what's wrong with it's it? It's disgraceful. I had a letter today, which was which was great because more fodder for the podcast. But, you know, we we keep going on about this, this CP2 engine. This is this um reliable machine you know buy this over anything else because it will serve you well you can go around the world it won't break and lo and behold less than a, you know just over a year since i've had it and i've already got a recall letter which is um very disappointing what's it for uh the rear deflector deflector <laughs> reflector reflector or reflector deflector. no the, the rear deflector's all gone <laughs> so you've got to get a new rear reflector i don't think you've got one on it anyway yeah i don't, I don't think there's much left of the rear on your bike at the moment it's held together with cable ties <laughs> at the moment i mean i'll see i mean the guys might chuck in some some bolts actually <laughs> just bolts yeah we'll see what happens i'll take it in number I mean, plate well, actually, it's still got its check engine light from when I drowned it in that bog. So, and then left it upside down for <laughs> forty-five minutes while she changed your tire. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that uh, wasn't anything to do with the engine light. Though. We're, we're learning. This is all learning experiences in here. So, um, <laughs> if I'm lucky, I can get the guys to just you know plug it in and, and get rid of that light while it's in for its uh, <clears throat> free recall. Recall. If you're unlucky, it will need a full engine rebuild. <laughs> Okay. If Bridge are lucky, you'll need a full engine <laughs> rebuild. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to cover in the news, James? No. Have you watched any more Long Way Up? I haven't. No. I've still four episodes in, so I'll uh, maybe catch up with that this week. Mm-hmm. At some point. You haven't watched any, have you, Archie? No, I'm I'm waiting. I I, I want to get it. Uh, I want to do a binge watch and get the uh, free seven day trial. You don't want to binge watch <laughs> it, trust me. Oh man, don't 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 it's too don't shoot me down. Don't shoot me down. No, it's okay, but um, yeah, I think there's been a few people saying it's not maybe quite as uh, exciting or um, watchable as the first couple of series, but we'll see how they go. Mm. Um, just as a caveat before we um, jump into main topic then, um, I'm James, 
uh, because I'm the host. So we're going to call other James Archie. So when one of us says Archie, that's who we mean. There's not a fourth person in the podcast. It's slightly less confusing, isn't it? And we're calling him Archie, not just because that's a random name you like. Because <laughs> 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 his surname is Archibald. I'll <laughs> probably explain that. So, Archie. Well, I guess, first of, first of all, um, how did you get into into motorcycling? I, I'll be honest, I don't really... It sort of just happened. It wasn't just one of these things that I... I wasn't brought up on bikes. I wasn't around bikes when I grew up. It was more of... It, like I had the typical upbringing where, you know, I was told that motorcycles are going to kill you if you ride one, don't get one, and all of that. So... I'll be honest, I'm amazed they haven't killed you yet. <laughs> You're not <laughs> to, the only one. You're not the only one. <laughs> I think I've been out with you three times, and... How many times have you picked my bike up in that time? I was going to say, the this time that we went out last weekend was the first time that we haven't had to pick your bike up. So. <laughs> well, that's because we were riding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to pick your bike up after I rode it, which is uh, probably saying something. That's more about the bike than the, 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 the rider, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I just sort of found, found my way into bikes then, uh, really. And after... Yeah, after I got into them, it became a complete obsession. So that was pretty much it for me then. Like everything that I sort of went around and did was all revolving around bikes. And, you know, even my career choices then became sort of directed and pointed towards motorcycling as well, which I've been quite fortunate with, uh, you know, because I've had quite a good career so far. James listening to Instagram stories. Sorry, I'm rather sorry. Than I'm listening sorry. to his guest. I know all this. So, uh, <laughs> give us a quick, very quick rundown your bike history. So, you know, first oh, bike God. all the way through. Can you can can you remember them all? Yeah. So I I started out with a Chinese 125, which uh, broke after like six months. This was back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Chinese 125s breaking down. Who'd have thunk it? It was, it was this skyjet. They've come was, a long way now, haven't they, James? They've come further. They've come a lot further than you might think. <laughs> this is so unfair on him. Oh, it's horrible, horrible. Works for a Chinese bike manufacturer. Yeah. But yeah, they have come a long way. But regardless, anyway, I got one of the sort of earlier generation of Chinese bikes and it was sold to me by a friend who I don't know if he's much of a friend anymore. Uh, <laughs> name and chain him? No, it's all right. All right. Um, and it was a Skyjet, I don't even know the name of it, Sky right, Team. Nobody else here will, so <laughs> no, don't, don't it, worry. Oh, it's it. horrendous. It literally fell to bits within like four months, and that was the end of that, really. But then I got, um, yeah, I went, I got my full bike license, and I got this ZX6R, uh, like an old clunker one. Uh, it was a 96 model. I've still got that bike, actually. And then I've actually got another one to use for parts for it, because old bikes fall apart. Uh, then I went, what did I go to then? I went to uh, VFR 800, uh, the pre-VTEC one. That was a nice bike. Uh, I had this Virago 750. Oh, James, that's about your street, isn't it? You love Viragos. Mm, yeah, my ears pricked up then. Yeah, I, I, I had this. Well, I saw that there's a chap called uh, Greg Hageman um, from the States who did a lot of cafe racer designs with them, like back when it was the bike shed was still quite small and that. And... Um, I think this was like 2010 and they were just stunning. They were really nice. And it taught me that you could like make quite a nice bike out of something that started off pretty. Whoa, whoa, whoa careful. Pooey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty naff. Um, so yeah, I got this Virago 750. 
I really wanted to make a cafe racer out of it and all I ended up doing was disassembling it and never putting it back together. Uh, so I sold that in the end. I ended up getting a ZXR 400 that I was going to race and I never raced, which was a real shame. I've always wanted to. So yeah, I got that. Um, and then I... What did I do then? I got... Then I started working at MCN and so I was quite lucky because I actually got... I got to use a lot of bikes. Um, so I didn't necessarily own them, but the way that I moved on to adventure bikes was... Um, in 2016 so i had a f800 gs as my long-term test bike and i really wanted to buy it i couldn't i absolutely loved the bike and that that was the turning point for me because i was at the time when i got the bike i wasn't sure whether it was going to be more of a old man's bike you know because it's a kind of misconception you get with these sort of gs's and stuff like that so but yeah i loved it absolutely loved it used used it for seven months and put about 20,000 miles on it nearly and um yeah and that that was where it all kicked off for me since then i've had like a couple of other bikes like ninja 650 and k5 um, what happened to the k5 james oh it was a brilliant bike i loved it absolutely loved it but um i had to sell it because i was gonna kill myself on it did you did you ever fall off that one no <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it spat it, you off <laughs> yeah it fell off me <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so, pretty uh, pretty decent biking history, and you're now yeah, back uh, on an F800, as people, people yeah, will so, have seen from yeah. some of your photos. So. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that was all born from the nostalgia of having that 2016 bike, so, you know... And I'd, if people go on MCN, they can, if they look back far enough, there's yeah, yeah. photos of you riding that one on there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, there's still all the articles that are written for it, um, so I think... Maybe James will chuck some of those in the... Uh, in the link to the podcast. Yeah, there's like yeah, some, 100%. Good some hero pictures of me at, at uh, Sweet Lamb doing airs and stuff, which is I didn't know you've been to Sweet Lamb. Oh, mate. Uh, let, let me tell you about that place. It's brilliant. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. So a bit of an ongoing joke that James is quite, uh, well, Archie, sorry, is quite taken by Sweet Lamb, isn't he? We, um, <clears throat> while we were riding through Wales uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, on the Tet and the Rally Moto event, we it's quite strange actually. For some reason, Sweet Lamb seems to be everywhere in Wales because every half an hour, <laughs> Archie would say over the intercom, "I'm pretty sure this is these trails are these are definitely trails near Sweet Lamb." And no, no, have... no, that was only on the trails that were near Sweet Lamb. <laughs> everywhere else, I was like, "Oh, I really like Sweet Lamb." <laughs> basically i loved it there it was a great place and i recommend anyone should go if they've got an adventure bike and they want to take it off road it's brilliant yeah it's supposed to be very good yeah so great james um archie. obviously sorry yeah archie your other passion in life is photography so um at what point did you realize that kind of both for for pleasure and for and as a career path you wanted to try and sort of combine motorcycling and photography and kind of carve that out as your as your main path well, uh, I mean, photography was there before biking. I've been shooting since I was, uh, since I think 2004 um, was when I got my first proper camera. Um, and so I used to shoot a lot of music, uh, some surfing, landscapes, all of that, you know, sort of stuff. And as soon as I got into bikes, I, I wanted to use it as a tool to, you know, shoot more bikes because it, it combines two passions. Um, so it was pretty much as soon as I... Yeah, straight away, really. Yeah, I guess, and I guess it makes sense, right? You, you want to, yeah. you've got a big passion in biking, and you're good at taking photograph uh, photographs. Then why why not take photos of you and other people doing the things you love? Yeah. So um, obviously, you worked at MCN, which I imagine was probably a pretty uh, pretty cool time. Yeah. Um, what were some of your kind of 
motorcycle slash photography highlights um, oh. of, of your life so far? Just give us like a top three or something. Uh, there was a there's a time there's a that, there's actually a, a good friend of mine uh, called Andy Davidson. Um, he runs the Mad or Nomad um, blog. Um, you should definitely check them out. Um, no, they're great. Okay, <laughs> I'll edit this out because they seem they are my like nemesis <laughs> not nemesis they probably don't even know i exist but they do they our do bring, they're our biggest our rival. rival our only rival yeah. <laughs> we're better <laughs> we got a podcast yeah but yeah so um so can i mention are you cutting that in or cutting that out or oh, no, when i say i'm cutting stuff out I, it's a joke oh it's gonna stay in <laughs> <laughs> anyway so basically um andy um he worked at MCM with me, um, and he'd been there a bit before. And he he was doing, I think this is my highlight was when we we did this rally in Switzerland called Alpenbrevet, and uh, we had tiny little putsch like mopeds, and we basically went and did stupid stuff all day through the mountains in Switzerland and like Lake Como way in Italy, and that it was absolutely awesome, um, you know, and it was it's sort of maintained and cemented that ethos that you know size doesn't matter you can have a lot of fun regardless on the size of the machine that you're riding so that was probably a highlight and yeah i I suppose many trips to scotland as well so is it obviously you get to go to all these amazing places that and you've been up to scotland wales to uh, other places in europe i think you've been to spa and things oh yeah photography yeah is it all as fun as it looks behind the camera is it just a big jolly Yes and no. It's it depends on how like for me because I love taking pictures. It's it's a real passion subject for me, so I always really enjoy it. But it's not it's not necessarily easy. I mean, we we went out and like as, as we were speaking about earlier, we 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 went and did pictures last week, and it's a different experience altogether. You can't just take pictures and ride where you want to go. You've got to dedicate time and effort and resources to actually getting the shots you want. And you know, it always helps if you being able to put in the legwork beforehand to know where you're shooting and what you're shooting and you know if you're shooting then for print what it looks like at the end result so you you need to get certain shots so it's not necessarily a jolly but it's really enjoyable so i guess it's probably fair to say that most people that are out on their bike ride can't realistically expect to get the same kind of quality of shots that um that maybe you're able to get when you're going to a set location and and like we did last week we spent you know probably two hours on one lane maybe yeah. more three hours or something just on one two like two or three corners yep. getting these shots so most people are, um aren't going to be getting you know the kind of mcn quality um photographs but what can people do with the equipment that they might already have so phones or cameras they might have at home um to try and make the sort of make the best of or make the most of the uh the shots they do take when they're out riding well i mean it's it's more about perspective you'd be surprised at how many people will take a shot and not include the whole bike in the picture um so it's it's all it's it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine when you see pictures and you know you're missing mirrors or you're missing wheels or you know you've just not really thought about the shot if you think about the shot and you think about the perspective of the bike and where you're shooting from uh you can usually get a much better result as as a result you know so you also have to think about editing um i think it's an area that's massively overlooked in terms of the average joe who goes out and takes pictures just throws it online mm. um you know a good edit can make uh, an average picture 
outstanding if you've got the right light or you've got the right backdrop but yeah i, I mean i suppose it's more about like the small things think about the details as well okay so if we take it back to say we'll save editing for later but yep. if we took it back to like the composition of the shot so say we found a corner or we found a little jump or whatever we go right we want to take a photo of my mate doing a wheelie over that bump or sliding their bike around that corner um what are the things then that go through your head as a photographer in terms of framing that shot composing that shot well i mean there's this the sort as photographers always have like this this thing called the rule of thirds so you operate to you, you can have a shot dead center bike in the middle of the shot which is usually a bit easier if you're shooting something like fast pace action or anything like that because it generally you've got more room to play with around it uh but if you're shooting say a static uh you would want to maybe think about the rule of thirds so divide the frame up into thirds and some cameras will probably have like a i was grid. gonna say most smartphones these days will have that yes grid yeah so that that, that is yeah that's a traditional thing that you know you can then put the bike or the subject in a third of the frame or roughly in that third uh and it, it's it helps the viewer to then feel comfortable when they're looking at it it's 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 a bit bizarre but it's it works and so i've always just kind of worked to that uh, but that's always a good way to sort of think about how the viewer can take a slightly different picture than they might have otherwise done. Um, so definitely use that. What about like height? I often see you sort of more often than not lying in the dirt <laughs> rather than up a, rather than up a tree though, or you're not. Yep. You don't seem to very often be particularly high. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but you yeah, don't seem yeah. to be have the camera very high most of the time. You're you know you're lying on the floor or you're crouching down. You're hiding behind something kind of um you know behind a bush or something and you're shooting through it or something like that rather than shooting down on people is that deliberate on your part yeah always um so you know the perspective is a very important part of taking a picture so the way i i always shoot it depends on what you shoot and how you shoot it um so my sort of go-to setup is i'll try and use a telephoto lens uh, which is you know sort of the the bigger zooms that's the perv the pervy lens that i normally yeah yeah the one what, the one that i can hide in bushes at and right <laughs> uh well i literally do but you know like <laughs> out on the trail just hiding in bushes shooting through the bushes uh to get you know out of focus elements in the shot as well um but so that that's kind of like my go-to setup so but i'd always say get get low um because it helps it helps frame the bike slightly better um so i always find that if you shoot maybe if you stood up and you stood in a static position shooting at head height you're going to be shooting more often than not possibly down uh, right, okay. so you know if you've got a, a really really nice backdrop in mountains or something like that you're going to get more of the road than maybe the sure. the background yeah, you know which which you, you kind of want it, it depends on the situation but that's kind of where i go to with it i'll, I'll get low and i'll shoot up so in general bike. with bikes, you, that's what you'd say. You yeah, do. but that, that's just my style with it. There yep. are other guys that I know that will shoot differently, um, but that's kind of where I go with it. Um, and well, I, that, I, I that think makes a lot of sense, well. though, because a lot of the time you see people sort of like stood with their iPhone or something, and they're just stood with it at head height, and the photos, they always end up at, as kind of pretty unremarkable. And Well, you, you, yeah, I mean, it's one of these things that you can get decent pictures doing that, but you got to think about where you're shooting from. So, I mean, if you wanted to shoot... Uh, if we were in a lane for example uh and we wanted to show more of the actual surroundings you might want to shoot higher up uh and shoot down into the lane potentially 
um, yeah, so I'll go low and I will, with my camera, because I'm using a telephoto lens, it'll blow out the foreground, so it'll all be blurry and it helps frame the bike better or it helps me frame the bike better. It also helps um, put a bit more focus on the bike as well. Um, but, I mean, you can do this with a phone as well. So, you know... I was going to say, yeah, because not everyone's going to have their telephoto lens no. on them. No, no. Or own one so. <laughs> well yeah i mean this is it camera equipment is expensive but you can you can get things like the the iphones now which have like a telephoto converter on them you can get a similar effect with that and that that's another area i was going to touch on was you know the the focal length makes a big difference to a picture as well um so you'll find that the wider the lens is the more distorted the bike will be especially if you get up close to it so for example, if you were just shooting on your phone, which is traditionally, you know, they have wide lens, it distorts the bike. Sometimes it can look good. Uh, I personally, I don't really like it, especially with a bike, because it, it sort of stretches them out of context, if you kind of know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And on smartphones in particular, even just the, because I've, I've got a Samsung and they have a standard and a wide angle. Yeah. It's really noticeable in the wide angle, but even just the standard lens is on on smartphones that distortion is really evident around the edge yeah even on the standard lenses yeah and that, that's it i mean if you were shooting uh, a bike quite close with a wide lens you, you're going to notice it bending uh bending around the frame and it just i mean i i don't like it personally it, sometimes it can work don't get me wrong uh but you know as a rule of thumb i, I would try and get as far away from the subject as possible because it's going to help the further away you are but in frame so the the bigger the telephoto i think it makes it look a bit better really um mm -hmm. but again it's not a rule of thumb that's just what i prefer doing yeah great um so <laughs> no that's fine Spe so speaking of all these different bits of hardware you know if you've got you know we've got a list a listener starting out whether they just you know maybe that's everyone's got a smartphone fine if you've got someone that wants to start shooting whether it's for Instagram, whether it's for whatever, what would you say would be a pretty decent setup, either starting setup or, or just, just anything to take out? Well, I mean, you can't go far wrong. There's a lot you can get secondhand that doesn't cost a lot. It depends on what you want to actually do with it. So if you wanted to actually get into photography, like I would say go with a DSLR or, and learn the basics properly, uh, you know, and actually learn to shoot. If you just you know trying to get better pictures play around with the settings on your phone you know there there are apps that you can actually unlock a lot more potential from your phone so you can play around with the actual settings of the phone camera so things like shutter speed aperture and you know iso and and stuff like that uh which then allows you a lot more control on how you shoot the the pictures you want to get uh you know so you can have a play around doing that mm. and uh, just a note on that. Do you want to just mention briefly about um, the the different file formats? Because yeah, even on smartphones now, obviously they tend to all shoot in JPEG. But yeah, when you go into this sort of pro or manual mode, I know that on my phone the pro mode gives you the complete um, you know control over all those settings that you mentioned. But then it also captures um, in a raw format, yeah. um, which is the file type, not the yeah, it's not the type of photo. <laughs> yeah, it's not coming out wet and raw. <laughs> so yeah, basically you would want to shoot. I, I always, if I get the opportunity, I'll always shoot raw. Um, 
just because the difference is a JPEG file is um, it's a compressed file. So you're always going to find that with a JPEG, if you zoom right in, uh, it will group similarly colored pixels. So although to the percept, you know, to to the natural I'm mumbling. Yeah, to the naked eye, you're not necessarily going to notice a difference. But if you zoom in, you do. Uh, it takes away some of the editing capabilities of what you're actually able to, to technically manipulate in that picture. Uh, so RAW will register every single pixel that is available. So if you have a 20 megapixel camera, it will register every single pixel, will register detail. And then when you get into post-processing, you've then got a lot more control on how and what you can do with the edit uh, in post. Uh, and you know you can bring back highlights, you can, you can uh, give your photos more depth and more dynamic range. Um, so you can do a lot more with them. So yeah, I'd definitely shoot raw if, if you can. And there are apps, you know, even on, I've got an old iPhone and uh, you know, if you're shooting something like Lightroom, you can actually unlock the raw capabilities through that. So there are ways around it, but it's again, it's one of these things, it's a bit finicky until you get your head around it. Cause I, I tend to find that whenever I shoot raw as well, it's gonna look, it looks washed out, doesn't it? And the color, yeah. The colors don't, so I, you know, I'll normally take a few different photos because the normal mode, the, the camera will basically sort of process the image itself and put its own sort of color grading on it. As yeah, that, that's because um, in a JPEG file, it will automatically add some post-processing and some, it'll add sharpness or, you know, a, a particular color profile. Whereas mm. raw, like you say, it is the bare bones. It is the shot as it was taken. So there's no post-processing applied at all. You can get presets for things like Lightroom and other editing software that can help you with this. But um, yeah, it's it generally looks a bit flatter from the camera. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my editing changed completely once I started shooting in RAW. The, the, the level of sort of play you get, even just shooting on a smartphone, let alone using a DSLR. But yeah. Totally. Um, you know, as soon as you start getting into the realms of what you can do editing wise, um, it opens a, a whole new world of the possibilities of what you can get from a picture. Um, you know, whether it's something from your GoPro, whether it's from your phone, whether it's from a pro rig setup, you know, with 20 grand, you know, worth of equipment shooting in raw gives you the the uh the capability to be able to do a lot more with your pictures so i was just going to say i'm sure every photographer has like a different style and a different process when they do get their totally photos post suite and i think it's probably fair to say like if we looked through all your photos i'd like to think you know i've seen a lot of your st your work and i could probably i feel like i could always pick your shots out of a, a lineup if that made sense yeah, yeah, if you definitely. gave me 10 different motorcycle photographers i'd be able to say that's a james archibald one so i can't i appreciate you can't speak for everybody and what they do um in the editing suite but what do you tend to do with your shots without giving away your secrets of course <laughs> that's not much um, of a secret don't want just... people copying you but you what you what do you tend to like to do if we kind of were to generalize so i mean I, i've got a sort of like i say you can get loads of presets from different photographers um that offer different finishes to the images um obviously it depends again on what you're shooting um and the color range and the time of day, I suppose, as well, depend on what lights available. But just jumping in, sorry. those that don't know presets, the, I mean, I, would you agree that the kind of just more advanced 
filters as it were yeah like you get on instagram filters but yeah presets do yeah. it to with more sort of depth yeah and you know it enables you to apply that kind of look to a batch of pictures when you're editing but for me personally i'll usually to try and give a picture a bit more of a dynamic range which is where you've got slightly lighter you've got more control in the image so the there's less contrast between the highlights and the shadows which is kind of what you want to do you want to get as much information in that image as you can uh, so i'll usually take down the highlights a little bit i'll add some of the shadows so i'll increase the amount of detail that you can see in the shadows so i'll bring them up a little bit um and then tiny bit of sharpening uh, you know one of my sort of classy things is i'll put a bit of a vignette on it as well um, but that's kind of like my everyday go-to might alter the color a touch depending on what the conditions are when i was shooting because you know this is the thing i'll always shoot in a manual mode in the camera so i've got a lot of control in the camera but it also allows me to then shoot for how i want to edit the picture in the in the final post-processing area well i think i'd like to do post this as well if, if it's possible james would be maybe if you could pick um just a handful of photos maybe pre and post edit Oh, you're going to get me showing my naked shots. Yeah, if that's okay with <laughs> yeah, you, we yeah, could like cool. put a post up on the blog yeah, and maybe yeah. with James saying how, how he composed that shot and what went into it when he edited it, what equipment it was taken on. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Maybe have like a before and after of the... Because I'm always amazed when I look at the photos when we're out on the trail on your camera screen. I'm always like, oh, it looks all right. It looks a bit basic. Yeah, and I mean, it comes back. When, when like, we worked Whoa. together, you were you were similar about that, weren't yeah, you? Absolutely. So you yeah, absolutely. used to have that sort of same, same thing. I was but, amazed at the what comes out post edit and i appreciate now that's because you were showing me these raw files i didn't really understand it in the same same way that james did i think but um yeah that's super interesting i think people would find that really cool to be able to see the the difference between the photo you took yeah how you actually framed and composed that photo and then what you did to yeah, yeah, get totally it to the that. to the finished article yeah i have to find a good one though yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'll be out of a job by the end of this all, yeah, our, all our followers are going to be <laughs> pros they're going to realize that it's all uh it's all easy all a con yeah <laughs> um i mean have you got any other questions you want to ask is there anything you want to that we haven't covered that you want to i mean it'd be great to have you back to start, yeah, kind yeah, of do totally. more sort of you know more intermediate stuff and people all i'm hoping that people will sort of write in and want to have questions for you and stuff yeah uh, well yeah it's cool i mean like another thing i would say is always watch the backgrounds that was something i was always taught from like the very first sort of instances of when i was sort of picking up photography is you know if you watch the background the foreground will always take care of itself so if for example you're shooting a bike get the bike in the foreground make sure you've got the whole bike in it watch your background that, that that's probably key for most of it i suppose um because it's always a thing that people always forget about um so you, you might have a, like a really nice vista in the background but if you've got like someone walking through it that you've sort of not really accounted for it's it's going to make more work in post if you've got to edit them out or if you've got to you know then shoot again at some point um so that that was probably one of the sort of things i was trying to get around and then completely forgot what i was mumbling on earlier um <laughs> And yeah, and, and then also perspective is key. So something like, um, like we were saying about getting low, um, you know, shooting with a telephoto if you can, or at least considering how you want to shoot the shot rather than just shoot anything, just because it, you know, a lot of people will just shoot something with a camera because it's there. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's a, that's a big thing actually, because I've 
I've just started getting into to shooting with a DSLR and it's it's not as straightforward as you buy your camera and your lens and you can take every single kind of shot. I mean, we did, yeah. we were out last weekend and we were on, like you said, we were on one lane. We yeah. were doing like a long straight bit where there was a little, some little humps that we could jump over. And then yeah. there was that corner with the, um, going through the puddle, which you've posted over the past week of me and Ross going and yourself going through this puddle and looking really cool. Um, but even then you bought two completely different lenses and it's, you can't get every shot with one single no, thing and no, you no, can't and it, it's silly to try and attempt and you, you and can get angry that you can't you know why why aren't my photos looking like i was more like, angry that my battery was dying all the time <laughs> two, i was about to say you brought two lenses you didn't bring two blooming batteries though did he there's a first time for everything and it's always that time that you don't do it it, it goes all tits up so uh, but um yeah lenses are everything also if you are going to get into photography just off that, sorry. Um, if you're going to get into photography and you want to know where to spend your money, spend it on lenses. 100%. Like, you know, you can have the best camera body in the world, but if you haven't got the glass to back it up, it's you're still going to be very, very limited in what you can achieve with that. And if somebody, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit now, but if somebody's buying their first SLR, I'm not going to ask you to tell me like, which make and model and stuff, but focusing again on lens, what, because it's all in mils, isn't it? What lens yep. should people buy as their first lens that's going to do the most for them to start with? I mean, my it's it's difficult because it depends on what they want to shoot. If you want to shoot a landscape, go with a wider lens generally as a rule of thumb. If you want to okay, shoot so for, for bikes, then it, again, your, your main aim is to shoot bikes. It's it's difficult. I can afford one lens. What am I buying, Archie? Come on, Archie. Or well, I mean, I I started with a twenty four seventy. Which so that's quite a big range, isn't it? It's it's or, a standard. So right. you, you basically that there there are, there's like this thing. There's this holy trinity of lenses that most manufacturer will offer, and there's basically three lenses uh, that will cover you from very wide, like sixteen or seventeen mil, up to two hundred mil. So you know, I know I shoot Canon, so Canon do the sixteen to thirty five millimeter, then they do the twenty four seventy millimeter, and then they also do a seventy to two hundred. That's sort of ballpark of where i would go with it so i asked james which one lens someone should buy so he said to buy three 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. but no, no 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 i appreciate in, what you're saying though each each of those lenses has its own specific purpose i suppose in the the biggest ballpark i would say probably go with like a general purpose lens so the lens i started with or not started with but the prop the first mm. proper lens i got was like this 24 70 which i still use today yeah and you know that then covered me for um like wider wider shots like not super wide but yeah. wider so i could do landscapes or stuff like that with it and then it went up to 70 so that was like quite a nice range yeah. for like portraits or you know you're starting to just touch on the slightly closer stuff J- just for reference like your your naturalized season about 50 millimeters okay that's interesting so, yeah, yeah so you've got something between the wider wider part of that and yeah. you're touching a little bit closer so that's probably going to be like the best starting point but you're probably yeah. going to find fairly quickly then that you're going to want to buy a couple of lenses either side of that yeah really yeah i mean i know that canon do a very popular one uh which is a 24 to 105 uh, mil lens and that then gives you a little bit more closer mm. it gives you the opportunity to go a little bit closer with it and it's actually a really good lens it's, uh, uh, but 
Um, but yeah, I mean, my go-to is like a 70 to 200 millimeters. And that, that's generally the one that I shoot on the most. That's that big, long white one you use yes. a lot. Yeah, okay, yeah. Fine. So, so that uh, was the one that we were doing most of the photos along the straight with. Yeah, day, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it allows you, it's not super close, but it allows you to get close enough that you can usually crop in if you need to. Or, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's a very good lens for standing back and doing stuff. So if you're shooting stuff with bikes. Also, it goes into then to, uh there's you know other things that you consider with the lens as well so like the aperture so if you shoot it wide open mine will go down to an f 2.8 uh, which means that that's more lighting what it also does is compress the background more so when you're shooting for example at 200 mil uh you get more background blur so the, the subject is a bit more defined as well but yeah, that's basically like portrait mode on, on on the iPhone that everyone likes to. Yeah, shoot in. pretty yeah. much <laughs> exactly that. That's just what that's simulating, isn't it? Well, yeah, essentially, yeah, that's what your phone's trying to mimic. Yeah, so yeah, it's trying to pull out the subject from the background in the same way that mm. like a sort of telephoto ish lens would do. But yeah, that's basically a long winded way to answer your very simple no, question. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, no, I appreciate it. it's not it's, the thing is it's not a simple question. Yeah, it, so. I mean it depends on what you're shooting ultimately. Yeah. Cool. So what we'll do is I think we'll get James to, like we said, Archie, sorry, to write up some uh, some some of this stuff for the actual blog, so people can go back and revisit it, and we'll uh, get some photos on there that he's taken, some explanations of how he's done it, and uh, hopefully get some of you guys out there shooting like he does, and you know, you can just take his job then. <laughs> I don't even know what my job is anymore. So oh, yeah. James, we've had some letters again this week. We have. This is great. I love this. More hate mail? We've, no, no. Oh. Um, unfortunately, you missed it. Well, oh, Archie, we got hate mail last week. We were so proud of ourselves. Does it really? mean we've made it? Hate mail about what? Was this Was this what you were on about when we were doing the Wales trip? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but no, um, good mail this week, which is great. I suppose that also means that we've made it. But Absolutely. So you start with this one then. What have James. you made? Sorry? What have you made? Well, we've made it. it. We've it. made it. 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 A celebrity. <laughs> and we've invited you in. We've invited you into our circle. You don't have to. Hey, hey, I feel, I feel privileged. <laughs> anyway, so this first one is um, from a chap called Stuart. Thank you, Stuart, for writing in. Um, he says, hi, not necessarily a collaboration or a guest post, but a question for the podcast, maybe if you wish. I also have a Tenere and I'm looking at new tyres for it before winter. Also in the market for the Ralzies uh, like yours, or more likely just the Adventures. So the Adventures are the sl- ever so slightly more road-focused version of the the, the Moto Z Ralzies, which I, I might look at myself next, actually, uh, to see the difference. Anyway, sorry. My question is, though, what pressures do you run them at, and how much difference do you find this makes on and off-road in terms of noise, traction, and wear, etc.? I only have the stock tyres at the moment, but I'm always very worried about changing pressures as soon as I leave the pav- pavement but maybe I don't need to be. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts and know what you do. Also, if you ever make it up to the northeast, give me a shout for a ride out together. There's plenty of the Tess up here I haven't seen yet. Thanks, Stuart. So um, thanks for writing, Stuart. The um, north of England Tet is the, the biggest section that I haven't ridden yet and desperate to get up there. Probably won't be till next year now, but thank you for the invite. Um, with regards to tyre pressures, actually, um really good question because i haven't really played with them until we did our tech wales trip and got my puncture um <laughs> so the the standard pressure is 36 in the rear psi and 30 
four in the front, I believe, for the tenere. Once we had the, pe- the puncture, uh, we reinflated. Uh, my brother's got a great. I need to put a link in it. Um, it's a com- like a tiny compressor. That thing literally saved your ass. It was so it, literally. This thing is like thirty quid off Amazon. It's u- USB rechargeable, and it and it will it will do maybe like two full um inflations it was on a amazing. battery it, it was, was fantastic absolutely amazing like, yeah I, I didn't even know these things existed i was so baffled when i saw it and just saw you pulling it out <laughs> that sounds so wrong <laughs> <laughs> um and i bought a little bicycle hand pump with me because it fits in my krieger five liter toolbot toolkit what, watching you try and do that was um, even more wrong <laughs> <laughs> but i would there's there's no point having that because you are going to be there for so long trying to pump it up. This <laughs> mini compressor is just fantastic. We reinflated back up to 30 when we changed the tube instead of 36. And I actually ran that for the rest of the trip and the whole way home because I was so tired uh, the next morning after doing the tour of Wales. Was I was just tough. like, screw it. it. Was... I'm just going to just gonna ride home like it. It'll be fine. It was knackering. But um, what a difference it, it made dropping just six psi uh on the rear um in the trail on the road you it's noticeable you don't tend to get that sort of roll you get with a with a fully inflated tire you can feel as you turn the sort of sluggishness and then it kind of goes it's ultimately going to wear the tire quicker as well yeah um, it's 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 quite an interesting question sorry if i jump in no no, no please it's, do it's like because i've i've actually done a few of the sort of adventure bikey off-road school things um and i've had a couple of people say conflicting things about them some have said to drop pressures when you're using it off-road depending on the tire um and others have said that you don't necessarily need as much i mean i personally have always preferred dropping them a bit off-road um but then i just usually drop my bike anyway so i don't know how (laughs) how valid my my input is with it but it does make a difference but then when you when you're back on the road it doesn't feel as nice when you're riding with lower pressures and you also have uh, a tire that's going to wear considerably quicker as well. It was worth saying with the, um, I know it's kind of, people kind of maybe get a little bit nervous about doing it as well because you are deviating from, from what you're told to do with your bike, what you're told is the safe operating pressure for the, that tire. But interestingly, with the Tenere, um, in the owner's manual, they actually have off-road pressure recommendations um, I don't know many bikes that have that. It kind of it shows the intention of the bike from Yamaha, but um, I don't know what the is it thirty psi they actually recommend or no? It's actually twenty nine. Um, I think it's twenty nine front and rear, but yeah, yeah twenty nine is what they recommend for off road riding. Um, like which, like you said, I've I've never seen in in a manual before, so that's quite interesting. Um, but I suppose my advice would be, I mean, I'm going to keep mine at 30 um, for now because most of the riding that I do is is off trail riding. And, you know, there's a bit of road, but there's not it's not like where I'm shooting down the motor. I mean, I did go down the motorway on 30 <laughs> and it was fine. It was fine. It was the thing is those those uh, Rao Zs are not the smoothest. They're not smooth tires. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say um, that as well. It completely depends on the so tire that you're using as that, well, doesn't that, it? That's the thing. Even if even pumped up, they are still going to be as uncomfortable, as noisy as it as as if they're deflated but, a little bit. If I was going to do motorway riding, I would have them up and I'd maybe drop them down. Might be worth carrying like a little tire pressure gauge just in your pocket. Um, I mean, I think the first time we went out, um, it was bouncing all over the place. This was way back last year, and I think I, we literally got to the end of a trail and I just like. I just 
<laughs> let a bit of air out. It doesn't. It's not re- as long as you you don't go mad. I suppose it's not real, really. No, I mean, huge... it's, ultimately, I mean, it's going to probably give you a bit more traction, regardless, because the tire's going to move into spaces a little bit I, better. I definitely in Wales after we repumped up to thirty, I really felt the difference. Yeah. Um. It it felt I I thought it was because I was spending so much time consecutively on the bike on the trails, but I I think in hindsight it was because the the pressure had changed and the bike just gripped so much better yeah and it is again it's one of those things where the different tires make a huge huge difference i mean i've tried a few you know i've tried a few different ones and and found them to all have different results i mean i've like i say i've been told from a couple of sources on these off-road schools that you shouldn't but i i personally run Karoo threes and and um you know I've, i've been told by one guy that you shouldn't drop them because they're designed to be run at road pressures but then i've also been told that you should drop them i, I mean i personally sort of i just meet in the middle somewhere i think ultimately give it don't go mad drop it a bit and see if it works for you i think this would be my advice don't go silly and drop it to 20 psi or something but <laughs> certainly knocking five six psi out the tire is not going to make it dangerous and if it feels better for you on the trail then as far as i'm concerned it's better and if it doesn't just go it back a, up exactly yeah, get to a pump at the petrol station yeah. well i think i think this th- these compressors sound like a great idea um so second uh email uh from matt so he says chaps absolutely loving the podcasts matt you shouldn't have thanks though mate (laughs) um as a relatively new rider and having recently bought a t7 um i'm finding the information and entertainment okay (laughs) i'm glad you're entertained by it uh really informative and interesting uh we haven't paid matt for this by the way um Given we're moving into winter, I've been researching various bike cleaning techniques online, and it'd be great to hear what you do in terms of bike cleaning regimes. To jet wash or not, smother the thing in ACF 50 every week, motorbike blower dry, blow dryer thingies, or do you just hose her down and leave her to drip dry? Cheers, Matt. Um, I mean, uh, we could be ages here talking about cleaning, I suppose, but to try and sum it up quickly, I mean, I I think pressure washers are fine, um, as long as you're careful with them. Um, if they've ideally if they've got a setting where you can turn them down a little bit from their full power do that um, if not just really be careful keeping them away from bearings and anywhere on the bike that's got joints um, because what you'll end up doing is blow the grease out of the bearings and you'll you'll ruin your bike um, but yeah i mean jet washes for getting mud off of be- um, plastics off of um, sump guards off of engine casings as long as you stand back a little bit absolutely fine um, if you've got kind of flaky paint and stuff be really careful because you will just strip um paint off engines and things if you've got it so careful careful with them but yeah go for it if you if you're all right um a hose is absolutely fine a hose normally on its higher pressure settings good enough anyway i think um and then using some sort of bike cleaner muck off or you know loads of other ones exist they all do virtually the same thing you leave them (laughs) on soak soak the bike for a few minutes give it a brush give it yeah you know get get in there with the brush always helps yeah well that's what's going to shift the dirt yeah, I think it it also depends on how you're going to use the bike. We've said this a few times before, but winter is our high season for trail riding. Um, so most of the time when we go out, we'll be going out, getting the bike muddy, um, bringing it back and then cleaning it off. Um, even if it's just a rinse to get the mud off and then, you know, relooping the chain and, and then it goes in the garage and then it goes out, comes out the next week and off we go again. If you're... You know, if you're doing a lot more road stuff, you know, commuting or whatever, then it's a it's a different story because 
you're probably not going to be washing the bike every time it goes out and you're on surfaces that are going to be covered in grit and salt and basically things that will corrode corrode the bike more easily in which case you know getting a protection like an acf 50 on is much better because the chances are you're not going to wash it every time you put it back in the garage so there's an element of how you you're using your bike yeah i mean acf 50 is great stuff um it's designed to be used and not really applied but if you wash your bike loads it's going to wash it off um you know it's it's all about providing a, a thin sort of protective layer at the first instance so that it doesn't let moisture in uh i've also used uh, uh i think it's xcp rust blocker that stuff's pretty good it's probably very similar stuff isn't it I it's actually it's a bit thicker is it's, it yeah okay. it's quite a lot thicker than uh acf 50 mm. but i've also then again used scott oil i've got one called fs365 yeah. and that's kind of like my go-to in winter so i'll put a base coat of acf on it and then the scott oil stuff's water soluble though i think yeah to acf so yeah you've got to top it up really regularly yeah. whereas so, acf will stay on the bike for for a while well, ages yeah yeah i so, used to when i commute i used to rinse my bike every day when i got home yeah. just to get the salt off it and then i'd give it a proper kind of thorough deep clean once a month yeah. and reapply the acf that was kind of how i um yeah i mean that's a good way to do it but if you didn't want to do it as much you could put something like acf on it uh and then you know when you've been out and it's a bit wetter, put a bit more fs365 yeah. on it and it'll sort of top up your protection hopefully um, and drying the bike, yeah. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have an air compressor or something, then great, brilliant. You can blow all the uh, blow all the excess water out of the kind of nooks and crannies of your bike and switch gear. I think that's fantastic if you've got one. Um, I think he probably means that you can get those air dryers that like, they're actually like big hair dryers for bikes. All oh, right. Oh I yeah. Don't, I don't. I don't like them personally. I think, okay. Yeah. But if you've got compressed air, that's a good way to go. Sounds. sounds I mean, you can buy an air compressor from Audi or something normally for about eighty quid. So magic what? middle aisle. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but yeah. I mean, otherwise, I towel dry the bike and then yeah, just try and make sure that you're not leaving it somewhere super damp because it won't ever dry out. If you've got a reasonably well ventilated garage, then perfect. Yeah. Use something like GT85 as well. Um, yeah. You know, get get in around the electrics to drive all the water out from yeah. any electrical. Uh, connectors that you've got so you'll stop them from corroding if you use um you know something with ptfe as well which is mm. generally considered safe for rubber yeah just note on actually things like that gt85 and acf50 just be super careful around brakes oh, just yeah. don't get it anywhere ideally mask them off if you can but if, if not and you or you can't be bothered which is normally the case for me just be so careful not to because if you get it on your pads they're they're ruined yeah well you can you can sort of just like hold a cloth around it so yeah exactly you know that's generally what i'll do yeah ideal well thanks for sending those letters and letters in folks if you want to get in touch with us and you've got your own question uh you want to say hi you want to send us some hate mail maybe because it's quite dull without without hate mail actually i'm gonna send you hate mail excellent Excellent. If you want to send a hate mail directly for James uh, Archie, then um, and say whether that you'd never want to hear him again, then let us know. If you want to hear him again, then let us know. I'd never want to hear me again. <laughs> but um, you can contact us. You can still contact us at nine to five adv at gmail dot com. Um, you remember last week that we were thinking of splashing out and getting our own email address. I had a look this week. It's about. 50 quid a year yeah i think we can afford that yeah but that's per email address so uh, per email if address. you want a james app and no, then we'll just have one we'll have mail app why, why don't you just uh, get a domain name and then do it through the domain what's he talking about? 
anyway. Have you not? Have you? Do you know nothing about it? Have yeah. you not been on my website? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a no. No, it's a yeah. I got the domain. You just you got to pay extra for the email. Oh man, you got the wrong domain host or whatever it is. <laughs> I, I've got like I can get unlimited emails. Okay, next week's topic: hosting. Uh, <laughs> hosting a blog. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, that's definitely going to wrap us up this week because James, as usual, took way too long doing what he was meant to do. Um, whether it's taking photographs or talking about <laughs> taking photographs, he completely overruns our budgeted time. But that's fine. I we'll let him off this time. Grade A faffer. But we'll um, we'll definitely we'll definitely trim him down for next time. So don't you worry. Um, God help me. Thanks for listening this week, folks. Yeah, uh, so- if sorry you... if you've switched off because of my incandescent moaning and not moaning it's still taking ages to oh, no. even bloody say the sentence <laughs> <sighs> i don't know anyway if uh, for, if we'll, if you want to see what james's photography is all about like i said i'm going to put some links to his uh some of his old mcn articles uh, in the me. episode description <laughs> uh if you want to follow him he's on instagram at james archibald uh i'll put a link to that as well if you want to follow us i'm at nine to five adv and I'm at Devonshire underscore biker. If you, uh, we've got a newsletter. You can sign up to that. That's in the episode description. If you want to support the show, then we've got our affiliate links uh, down below. Click through one of them, spend something, then we get a commission. Easy as that. We're heading into winter now, so we're not making any money. But keep riding. We might <laughs> do that next week, actually. Riding through winter. Because for us, I mean, we've said this, but riding in the winter, trail riding is the it's most the fun. I love it in winter. There's nobody walking under the dogs. It's full of mud. There's no bushes. It's perfect. You fall off loads. I haven't had the pleasure of uh, riding with you guys in the winter yet. You're going to love it. I've had the pleasure of falling off loads, though. You're going to love it even more, then. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so next week, then, winter riding tips. But for now, keep adventuring. See you later. Cheers.